Good evening, and welcome to Colorado Decides, a joint production of Colorado Public Television, CBS4, and KOA News Radio. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Joining me today is political analyst Eric Sonderman. Tonight, we continue our coverage of the 2016 election by focusing on the race for Congressional District 2. The district includes the northwestern suburbs of Denver, including Boulder, North Glen, Thornton, and Westminster. Additionally, City 2 represents the mountain towns of Vail, Grand Lake, and Idaho Springs. Join us for the next 30 minutes are Democratic incumbent, Representative Jared Polis, and Republican challenger, Nick Morse. Everyone, thank you very much for joining us. We have limited time, so let's get right to it. Eric, you want to ask your first question? Yeah, we'll get specific in a minute, um, but let's start more general. And thanks, both of you, uh, for being here. Uh, no one really considers this a highly competitive district. Neither party has it targeted nationally, which makes it all the more important that you guys are here and, 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 and doing this debate. Uh, Jared, we'll start with you. Do you want to talk for a minute about... Uh, the new district, some of the gratifications you find in being in Congress, some of the frustrations you find, what you'd like to change as the way Congress operates. Well, look, I, I think this is one of the most beautiful congressional districts in the country, and I uh, never forget every day uh, whatever's happening in Congress, whoever, however difficult it is, um, how wonderful our district is, uh, our public lands, our, uh, our recreational opportunities, and whether it's Rocky Mountain National Park, whether it's White River National Forest. And uh, the people of our district care deeply about preserving our environment, uh, conservation. Many people owe their livelihood um, to jobs related to the outdoor recreation industry. Uh, we also have a vital technology industry, Fort Collins and Boulder, two of the flagship state universities, CSU and Fort Collins and CU. Uh, so education issues are high, high on the mind of uh, people of our district, including how we can better afford to go to college. So uh, I hope I'm running to really try to cut through the, the special interest influence to cut through uh, all of the logjam in Washington to try to move forward as I was able to last session by playing a part in replacing No Child Left Behind with a new federal education law. Hope to be able to do that around higher ed affordability as well as, as move forward to protect our natural heritage. And Nick, to you, uh, tell us why you're here. This is an uphill climb, and why did you decide to take it on? Yeah, well, I decided to take this on, you know, my previous role as the treasurer of the Larimer County Republican Party. Um, I felt as though we weren't being served as well as we could have been. Um, I knew that Jared was my representative, and I felt that we could do a better job. Um, looking at how he votes, he's voted party line 87% of the time, and I think we can do better than that. And with how our district is represented and the two major universities that we have in here, there is a large portion of our populace that is burdened with student debt. Um, not just the people in college, but those who have graduated, those who are trying to find meaningful work that can pay down their debt while afford to live in such um, an expensive area, which a large portion of the population does off the I-25 corridor. So I felt I could throw my hat into this ring. Um, obviously, we won our Congressional Assembly against my opponent, um, which allowed me to skip the primary. And so far, the campaign's been going very well, and I'm excited to be here. Well, Jim, let's get to it. I don't want to get too uh, mired in the national presidential politics, but the fact of the matter is there is a national presidential nominee at the top of the ticket uh, above both of your names. Uh, I want to ask specifically what issue you disagree with your party's nominee. Nick, we're going to start with you. Yeah, I, I disagree with the tone of, of how he's running his race. Um, just yesterday, I, uh, I distanced myself from him, and that's, that's not an easy thing to do. Um, I'm still voting for him. I still think he's a better alternative than Hillary Clinton, who has a longer track record in, in public service than he does. Um, but I feel we can, we can speak better and we can present ourselves better as, as a presidential candidate. And so I've tried to show in my race, and I think Jared's done a great job as well, that um, we can be civil, we can present different issues, and we can focus on the issues instead of um, attack politics back and forth. So I disagree with um, how he's presented his message. Um, 
how, the tone about how he's gone about this, and um, that's something I disagree with our presidential candidate about. Jared? Well, you know, look, um, uh, I've been a big fan as an example of President Obama, but doesn't mean I agree with him 100% of the time. I recently uh, voted to override his veto and allow uh, the families of victims of 9-11 to have their day in court to see if Saudi Arabia was complicit. Uh, in that act of terrorism. Uh, Hillary Clinton has well-articulated policy proposals in a number of different areas, and just like I've uh, done working with President Obama, while of course uh, I will always give her the chance to make her case, um, she will have to convince me that her path on any particular issue is correct, and I try to be an independent and objective voice for the people of the 2nd Congressional District of Colorado. Is there a particular issue they disagree with? Well, I, look, I think we need to see where she stands on a number of different issues. I think in general, I would say her inclinations are probably a little bit more hawkish than I've been with my track record. Um, I voted against uh, military action in Syria. Um, I will have to see, uh, I was really pleased to see in the debate yesterday she ruled out uh, boots on the ground in Syria. Uh, but depending on what she comes up with in, in that world, I would, uh, while I'm always willing to examine the pros and the cons, I'm generally inclined against military intervention. Eric? Let's start here at home. This country has a $19 trillion debt. We'll soon be 20 and headed north of 20. It strikes me that neither party is up to the challenge. Neither party is really serious about doing anything about that. How are you different as a congressperson, and how do we ever get that under control and, um, and headed toward a manageable level? Jared? I voted for dozens of spending cuts across a number of different departments of government. Uh, more importantly, I'm a co-sponsor of an amendment uh, to require a balanced budget, balanced budget amendment. Just like the state of Colorado has, we balance our budget every year. Uh, I'm convinced that Congress will not balance the budget unless it is required to. So I think the most uh, effective path to do that is to pass a balanced budget amendment. Again, it allows uh, exemptions for times of natural emergency, and um, the particular one I do says, you know, you can have it in a, on a two-year basis. Um, but we've got to make progress on uh, balancing the budget, restoring fiscal integrity, not just for these so-called on-budget items, which are the expenditures and revenues every year, but also for the huge unfunded liabilities we have in Social Security and Medicare to make sure we have the stability uh, and the soundness in those programs to make sure they're there for the next generation. So um, I agree with Jared on that, but I think we should take it a step further. A balanced budget does not take care of the future entitlements and the, and the projected spending that we're going to see from population increase, including people now entering into, the, into that um, projection that are yet to enter in the workforce. So we actually need a surplus budget. We need to begin to pay down and set aside money um, for these entitlement programs that are growing into the near $100 trillion of, of required spending that we have to have available. So I think we need to actually focus on uh, maybe reducing foreign spending, uh, lowering our entitlement programs and wasteful spending, and creating a surplus budget. Because balancing the budget doesn't stop the problem. It slows it down, but it doesn't stop it. We need to actually address it, have money to pay back um, what we're overborrowing, and then we'll actually be able to see a solution to this financial problem. An issue that is uh, near and dear to Colorado and start, since we've been a, somewhat of an epicenter for throughout the entire nation, is the subject of marijuana legalization. Um, we were almost by ourselves with just the state of Washington for many years, but now you're seeing the wave continue to grow. So I guess a, it's a two-part question is, uh, as we see more and more states legalize marijuana and its use, whether it's medic for medical reasons or for recreational use, uh, do you support that, and would you support federal legislation that would eliminate marijuana from being a Schedule One drug? 
Nick, we'll start with you. Yeah, I, I think this is something um, that I've been pretty vocal about. Um, it's great to see Colorado take the lead on uh, an expanding market, and I do think uh, reclassification of marijuana is very important. When you look at some of the prescription drugs that are out there right now, they're scheduled as less uh, addictive forming than marijuana right now, and that, that's absurd. We all know there is a prescription drug problem right now with teens and young adults and millennials um, who take these drugs for pleasure instead of for what their proper use is. So yes, I think that we should reschedule it. We should lower it from Schedule 1. And then also, with states expanding, um, I think that's a state issue. Um, I think Colorado has been a great example of success. We've had roughly $900 million in tax revenue, and people aren't sleeping on the side of the highway. So it's been very productive. It's been very successful. We've helped to take that funding and put it towards state education and state infrastructure. And I think we're a success story for how we can show here's a new uh, market that we can capitalize on and take advantage of and maybe have a good role model for other states who are looking to roll that out. Jared? You know, I, I agree with Nick. Uh, I, and I think, you know, parents in Colorado get this. I mean, if you're a 15-year-old, um, you know, if you catch them experimenting with marijuana or alcohol, that's one thing. If you catch them with something like heroin, that's a totally different uh, alert level. That's DEFCON 1 for a parent there. Uh, and yet in federal code, uh, uh, the uh, opiates are a less controlled substance than marijuana. I mean, it shows kind of this moral bankruptcy of these federal drug laws. And then people discount them. They, they just say, how could the federal government possibly say marijuana is worse than heroin? It makes no sense to anybody but the DEA. So we've got to change that. Uh, I think parents across Colorado get that. Uh, and Colorado chose to go a particular direction with Amendment 64. I happen to think it was the right direction. And I hope that our, all of our legislative delegation, regardless of what they thought of that amendment, since Colorado has chosen to go that way, we need to do our best to uh, make sure that federal law allows for Colorado to do this and that legal business owners in Colorado, uh, legal um, uh, customers in Colorado uh, aren't prosecuted under federal law or have that specter of federal prosecution hanging over them. Another encouraging piece of data, Nick mentioned the revenues as well and, and the fact that none of these kind of parade of horribles has happened. Uh, underage marijuana use has actually gone down since legalization. And I think that's in general because there's going to be less drug dealers. Not all gone, but less because there's simply less volume being piped to the black market. And of course we have rigid controls around age restrictions like we do in liquor stores in marijuana dispensaries. Here. Let's talk about Syria. Jared brought it up er earlier. I think I know what both of you are against, boots on the ground in probably both cases. Tell me what you're for. What, you, what is your prescription for what I think everyone acknowledges is a humanitarian crisis of epic proportions in which uh, no one is looking very well and the U.S. is certainly not doing what it can. Uh, Jared, we'll go with you. Well, I think uh, we, of course, uh, amongst a number of um, unsavory actors in the region, uh, we can single out ISIS as the uh, most dangerous in that they condone, support terrorist acts against civilians in Western democracies, uh, have an abysmal human rights record in areas that they occupy, including against uh, LGBT residents and Christians uh, in those areas. Uh, so I do agree with Hillary Clinton. We should focus on taking out their leaders. Um, that seems to be a, a proven effectiveness, breaking down that command structure that they have, uh, and of course working with the forces uh, that oppose them on the ground uh, to add support as we have with the uh, Kurdish forces in the past. So I agree with Jared on that, but I, I think something that's left out here is uh, state actors that are acting geopolitically here. I think. Um, we turn a blind eye to what Russia is doing in the region right now. Um, currently, they 
occupy Tardis military base, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And they're using that to move resources through northeast, north central, and northwest Syria to have access to a new western flank in the European uh, theater. And that's dangerous. We shouldn't allow Russia to have access to those naval routes along with the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. So I think we need to do a better job. We might have already um, put ourselves behind the eight ball in terms of getting them rooted out of there. But anywhere that Russia is expanding um, on any peripheral, whether it's um, on their western border and the North Atlantic, expanding their Arctic and Siberian bases, um, or moving in a naval position to be strategically positioned with the Mediterranean Sea access, I think that's dangerous. And we need to do more to confront that. Uh, the ARP is one of the many organizations that help make these debates possible. So we go to them for our next question. What do you think is the greatest challenge with Social, secu social Security's long-term future? Nick, we'll start with you. Uh, insolvency. Um, that doesn't mean it's going to go bankrupt overnight, but that means we're taking in less money than um, we are, we're putting out to recipients right now. So I have a three-tier plan for this. It, it's not the most popular, but I do think it's the most effective. I think if within 10 years of receiving your benefits, um, nothing changes for you. It stays the same. But we need to begin to tear it back in the, the, the middle working age, whether it's 35 to 55, to where half of your Social Security investment is now going to go into a privatized account that you control. Um, you still have the same regulations where you can't access it to a certain age, but at least you can earn interest on it. It's in your bank. You can go look at it every day, and you can choose how to divert and earn interest on that. And then the younger class, 16 to 35, that group goes straight into privatizing. So that way, their money is taken out of control of the federal government. The middle class of workers contribute to those who fully deserve to have their Social Security benefits while they're still setting aside for themselves. And then the elderly class is within 10 years of receiving their Social Security. Nothing changes for them. So that's the plan that I would like to propose. I think it's effective. It allows everyone to still receive their benefits, and it addresses the problem. Uh, we, we have a significant difference here. I oppose privatization. Inevitably, what would happen if you privatize Social Security, as some people would do well, others would lose their, their savings, their uh, egg nest. That's the nature of the private markets. Um, and what you would have is people that are destitute in old age. And of course, I'm sure they would come to Washington for some kind of bailout. And uh, there'd be politicians who would pander them to them and tax everybody else to, to try to bail them out. So I, don't, I just don't think it works. Um, the point that uh, Nick made, which is valid, is if you look at the soundness of the Social Security Trust Fund, we do run into significant problems in the 15 to 20 year time frame. And I think we owe it to young people today uh, to know what they're going to have uh, in their old age. And I would strongly oppose uh, any uh, cuts that impact current beneficiaries or uh, beneficiaries over the next uh, couple decades. And frankly, you can do a lot to restore solvency simply by raising the cap on the income level uh, for uh, the Social Security payments, um, the 250000 from 108000 which is uh, approximately what Hillary Clinton has proposed. I was proud to support a bipartisan compromise around this, known as the Simpson-Bowles Compromise. Some of you might recall that from a few years ago that essentially did that. The, the second part of it is the sooner Congress acts, the better. Um, if we wait, if Congress waits eight years, ten years, at that point in time, there might have to be cuts to current beneficiaries. Right now, by relatively minor tweaks, like raising that cap on contributions, can really help restore uh, fiscal stability to the trust fund for the next 50 years. Mm -hmm. Eric? Colorado has clearly become a major energy producer over the last period of years. Uh, some of that production is not all that far from your district. Some of it is in your district up toward Larimer County. Some of it's just across I-25 in Weld County. Let's talk particularly about fracking, which is how much of the oil and gas is produced these days. Jared, you've been 
on record more than once as a skeptic, to put it mildly, if not an opponent of fracking and of this particular oil and gas resolution. Has your thinking changed? And tell us, uh, tell us why you are where you are. Well, I don't think that's fair to say a, a skeptic or opponent. What I've been a strong and consistent supporter of is local control, meaning it should be up to communities how to integrate extraction industry into their area, just as it is for every other kind of economic development, where you site a subdevelopment, where you site a factory, where you site commercial. This is the bread and butter of our local governments of cities and counties, and they might have very different opinions about how to integrate extraction in Weld County and Boulder County, and that's perfectly appropriate. And I think that we need to give our local planners uh, the tools they need to be able to successfully integrate any extraction activities they choose to have into their zoning plans uh, to make sure that they don't interfere with other critical economic concerns and lifestyle concerns in those areas. I believe, if I'm not wrong, that the uh, Colorado Supreme Court has ruled that no, this is a matter of uh, state regulation, not local regulation. Does that change your viewpoint? And then we'll get Nick in here. They preserved a role for, for local. They uh, tragically, in the recent decision uh, this past February, overturned uh, uh, a moratorium that Fort Collins had. I had filed an amicus brief to defend what Fort Collins chose to do. Other communities in the district I represent, like Broomfield, have also chosen to go that direction. Um, it did pre preserve a siting role. In fact, Boulder County now, the commissioners are going through a, uh, a regulatory framework. But, um, you know, it's, it, it's difficult, and I would rather have give more express power to local governments um, so that it doesn't get taken to the courts every time a local government acts. Nick? Yeah, I think Jared and I disagree, and, um, and something that really frustrates me, and part of the reason why I got into this race is he sits on the Natural Resources Committee, and so he has a very huge impact into the federal regulation and the direction of the energy sector in CD2, and with 60% of our land being uh, federal land and public land, I understand the concern to save tourism, but at the same time, we can't turn off sources of energy that have 100% yield, such as uh, a barrel of oil. Um, when, when you have wind yield or solar yield, um, sometimes they max up to 60, 70 percent, but it's still not to that 100 percent threshold yet. So the cost effectiveness um, begins to, to be questionable. And then other areas such as um, uh, hydro, um, tidal, kinetic, all these other sources, um, we might not be geographically well positioned to take advantage of those as well. So um, this is something Jared and I disagree on. We have seen since 2008, 75 percent of the drill locations taken down. We've seen only three mines remain open in the state when we had 12. And I understand and I agree that we should move to a more sustainable energy um, platform, but at the same time we can't turn off sources quicker than we're putting new ones up. I'm not sure when you say, you know, when you say three mines are open, I think it might be conflating it. When you're talking about fracking and oil and gas extraction, there's over 20,000 active wells in Weld County alone. So, I mean, the, the sheer magnitude of this activity, uh, which is an important economic activity, uh, really affects local communities. It also has larger impacts that beyond local communities like clean air and clean water. Uh, and I am the chief sponsor of a bill uh, to remove the exemption that fracking has federally from the Clean Air Act and from the Clean Water Act. They've traditionally been exempt under what we call the small site exemption because each particular fracking pad is a relatively small emissions profile, but 20,000 together, 5,000 together, uh, you have areas of Wyoming, uh, northern Colorado that have worse air quality than Los Angeles as a result of the uh, combined impact of tens of thousands of wells within a certain vicinity. doesn't mean that that's banned federally. It means that that needs to be included under the Clean Air Act as well as the Clean Water Act when you look at groundwater. 
I think, I think the distinction we need to make here is he just took credit for Ken Buck's success in defending the tap wells in Weld County. So I, I disagree with that. He, he does not represent Weld County, and I wouldn't represent Weld County either. I also so, don't so, want to take so, credit for anything Ken Buck so, does, so, so I don't know if you want so to. You, you, well, you just did. So I think <laughs> that's, friend, I think that's important to I, notate. Uh, and then uh, secondly, with the methane uh, provision that he co-sponsored, now you're starting to talk about agriculture as well. Um, some of the largest producers of methane, as he knows, is livestock. And we also have marshes that are large producers. So this, this moves into far more than just oil and gas. It moves into natural resources, cattle, livestock, agriculture, and all of this is impacted by that bill. So if we are going to have those provisions, they need to be more refined, more targeted, more niche, because right now they're too broad spread. Let's get to another issue that I think is huge for your district. It's huge for Colorado, but especially in your district. Uh, it's the idea of forest fires. Frankly, this summer we got very lucky as a state. We didn't have the devastating wildfires that we had had just a couple years before and years before that. Is enough being done at the federal level to uh, address the, this issue, especially in Colorado, where right in the middle of your district in Summit County, if any of that major uh, uh, pine beetle uh, devastated area caught fire, as I think Ken Salazar put many, many years ago, it mm -hmm. could be a terrible disaster. Uh, do you think there's enough federal funding going towards this issue? Nick, we'll start with you. Yeah, I don't think so, and I'm, that's not an issue of Jared. I, I think he did a great job with the Loveland flood and, and the last fire, so uh, thank you for that, because where I live in Fort Collins, I can literally see the flames coming over the mountains. So um, while Jared and I may have disagreements about some issues, I, I do want to be respectful and thank him for the service that he's done there. Now, no, I, I think Jared knows that our maintenance um, budget for our water facilities that you know, reclaim water seven times downstream that can be used on the eastern part of Colorado. That has stayed the same for roughly 20 years. So I think we need to increase that because while population increases, and we know our population increase in CD2 has been exponentially great, um, we're still giving the same amount of money to people to service a larger group. So economies of scale is coming into impact here, and we do not have a large enough budget for that. And I don't think this is in any way a partisan issue. And frankly, uh, our delegation, uh, Senator Gardner, Senator Bennett, uh, the Republicans and Democrats in the House, have largely been on the same page. Um, we've come together on uh, letters of support around uh, increased availability of slurry bombers, increased availability of funds for fire mitigation, fire prevention. Um, I would hope uh, that's a value that you know any Coloradan, regardless of where they fall on the political spectrum, would hold that we need to do more, given that we live in an area uh, with significant U.S. Forest Service and BLM holdings and private forested holdings that we need to do more to prevent it, devastating fires. Is it more state versus state? I mean, you see uh, Montana, you see California. I mean, California, is, I, I would imagine politically, be somewhat of a juggernaut if you had a battle for resources, but I don't know how that breaks down in no, Congress. It, it, it's a total resource issue, too. Frankly, the, the U.S. Forest Service is is just understaffed and when you look at the fact that they'll have you know one ranger across an area of hundreds of thousands of acres um, there's very little you can do for instance to monitor illegal campfires things like that the kind of activity that lead to forest fires so if we're going to be capable stewards and especially if we're going to tie in uh, some level of resources with the amount of visitors we get to our natural forest and here in Colorado we have with White River National Forest and Rocky Mountain National Park uh, we have two of the most visited areas of the U.S. Forest Service in the entire country. Uh, we simply don't have the commensurate resources to police and protect against illegal activity that leads to forest fires in those areas. Right. Well, half an hour has gone by very quickly, as it usually does on this set. So let's get to our closing statements. We've asked each of our candidates to offer a one-minute closing statement. We flipped a coin before the debate started, uh, and Jared won. So Nick will have our very first closing statement. 
I'm Nicholas Morse. I'm running for Congress in Colorado's 2nd Congressional District. And I hope tonight you've seen um, a clear binary of two candidates who, ha who care about their country but have a different direction and how they choose to get there. I would encourage you to go to nickmorseforcongress.com, look at our issues page. I feel I've laid out a comprehensive strategy that will help get this economy working again, move our country forward, and be responsive to the needs of Colorado's 2nd Congressional District. Thank you. Nick, thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, Jared, you have a one-minute closing statement. If you look at what's holding us back on issues like making health care more affordable, making the economy work for everybody, you see at the root of it the influence of special interests. And the way that they fund campaigns is a critical part of the problem. That's why I support overturning Citizens United, uh, support the Disclose Act to shine a light on all the dark money in campaigns, uh, and to move forward to make sure that we can have a people-powered government. Uh, my website is polisforcongress.com. I'd be honored to have your support for the 2nd Congressional District of Colorado. Gentlemen, thank you both uh, for your time today in the debate. That is all the time we have for a look at Congressional District 2. I'd like to thank our candidates for joining us, Representative Jared Polis and Nick Morse. I'd like to thank my fellow panelists, Eric Sonderman, as well. If you'd like to get more information about general election races and ballot issues, please visit our websites at cpt12.org, cbsdenver.com, and koanewsradio.com. Be sure to turn in next week. I want to make a special point about this one, folks. Next week is our finale of our Both Sides of the Story 2016 tournament. That's our high school debaters coming in and debating Colorado issues, both that are on the ballot and both that are just important to the entire state of Colorado. And next week at 9 o'clock, we'll have our third place match, and at 9.30, we'll have our finals. And I'm telling you both, at 9 o'clock, they debate, uh, it is the open presidential primary ballot issue, and at 9.30, the finals, that matchup is about the minimum wage ballot issue. And both of them are absolutely fantastic debates. We've had a lot of debates in the studio, and this was a great one right here, but I'm telling you that the ones we hosted and and for this series, Both Sides, of the, Both Sides of the Story Tournament were two of the finest debates we've had. That's next week, November 4th, 9 o'clock at 9.30. Be sure to check it out. The, the high schools that are, are, I want to just certainly give them a shout-out as well that participated. We had St. Mary's High School down in Colorado Springs, George Washington High School. They're competing in the third-place match. And Cherry Creek and East High School, two of the top teams in the nation right here in our hometown, are competing in the finals in the 2016 championship. Be sure to check it out. Check out the rest of the debates online as well as all of our episodes of Colorado Sides, which are also available on our CIO podcast feed. So if you want to check that out, please do so. We'll try to be everywhere you are. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.